Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. So I have to first apologize for anyone that's listening, watching, whatever. I have a sick kid at home today, at least at the time of this recording. And unfortunately, you might hear him every now and then. I had to kind of cut a bit out of the video of my son coming in. I do apologize. Unfortunately, you can't help when you have a sick kid. And luckily, Kenny was very gracious to understand it and work with me even through the noise and everything my kid kind of put into the end. So with that being said, I'd like to thank you for your patience. I'd like to apologize for the extra sounds and little whimpers you hear my son speaking out. But all that, Kenny Ching was a fantastic guest to have on, discusses his memoir, that fact of how he had to deal with life and deal with things after he had a special needs children, child, and all the things that came with that that really affected him, along with his two sci-fi books that dig into the human nature, dig into a lot of different topics. I think you're going to enjoy listening to Kenny and I talk. Again, besides my son getting involved every now and then, which, again, I can't apologize enough, but I think you'll still enjoy the conversation nonetheless. With that being said, I'm going to get to the point and get to the show. Before I do, like I always try to remind you, go to authorblurb.com. There you'll find the different profiles, the different shows that are there, articles that people have written. You'll find a ton of stuff. You can go to all sorts of places on that where you'll find as much information. My goal is to make authorblurb.com or authorblurb the go-to place for you to find those independent and small authors that are just getting started. Who knows, maybe some of them will be so big that they won't even have time to come back on the show. But you can say you knew them before then and you read them at the start. Other than that, thanks as always for being on. One thing I'd like to remind you is I'd like to encourage you to donate if you think this is worth worth your time, worth the value, because well, it makes me feel happy and helps me buy stuff to improve the show. New mics, new cameras, all this fun stuff. So other than that, thank you as always. Enjoy the show, and I'll talk with you soon. So I'm here with Kenny Ching, and we're here to discuss three of his books that he has, two sci-fis, a memoir, Shattered Prayers, Loyalty to Chaos, I forget the other sci-fi, but Kenny, thank you for being on. As everyone knows, it's always easier for the author to discuss themselves and their books, because you're going to know a whole lot more of them than I can even begin. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, and then tell us about your books, and we can start talking? Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. So uh, Shattered Prayers uh, is a Christian memoir. Um, it is about when my first child was born with some special needs, uh, pretty severe at the beginning. And it just really put me through uh, a pretty intense trial in my life. And uh, one day I wrote it down and it turned into a memoir. So that was my first published book. That was about in 2015. Um, I've got uh, another uh, fictional project that I've been working on. Um, the name for the whole project is The Chronicles of Gog, and it's a post-apocalyptic story. It's based on um, a book out of the Bible, First Samuel. That's kind of the source material, and I just always really loved uh, all the stories in First Samuel, and I always wanted to do something with it. Um, finally, I got around to putting down the first two books. I probably got to write 
two or three more to complete the the series. And so, um, yeah, a little fiction, a little memoir, and uh, they're all um, they're they're all I suppose you would call them Christian books. Um, the the sci-fi is pretty light on uh, the you know overt religious elements. Um, it's really more about the the human struggles as a uh, as people fight for the for the kingdom. All right, so let's go through the sci-fi first, and then we can dive into the memoirs if you're all right with that. Let's do it. Perfect. So the sci-fi. Where do we start in the journey? What are we on Earth? Are we in another planet? Where are we with that? We are in um, a bombed-out Reno, Nevada. Um, so it's all on Earth. Um, I have thought in the future of taking them off planet, but uh, this is another aspect of what I wanted to write about is um, I grew up in Reno. And so I've renamed everything, um, but the setting is Reno, Nevada. And so I wanted to capture some of the geography of uh, my hometown. All right. So it's po- it's post-populated. I can't even speak. Happens to me every now and then. But so the world's been decimated. Is it rebuilding? Where? So when somebody starts off on page one, right. this is a question I really like asking because where you start off with the book usually gives you an indication how much you're going to get into it because you have to enjoy the beginning to really dive through it. At least sure. I, where do we so, start on page one? On page one, the lower class uh, of the remaining society are getting ready to choose a king. They've been dominated by the technologically superior um, class called the Triopolites, and they've gotten fed up with it. And so um, they are moving from a uh, religious society. They've been following their priest, but now they want a warrior king. And so on page one, they are beginning the process of choosing a king and setting up for a war with their uh, with their rivals. All right. And then what kind of what ended up causing the apocalypse? Was it something that your book mentions or do you just kind of blow over that? Um, I leave it a little bit of a mystery. So um, it's a thing that people in uh, Gog, my uh, city, they speculate about, but they don't know exactly how it came to pass. Um, I imply that it was nuclear war. Um, the the city is shrouded in um, something called nuclear autumn. You know, they, there's no sun uh, visible. It's a, a gray, thick um, sky, and that was something I researched as a possibility happening after a, a nuclear war. So the apocalypse, you know, the cause of it itself is not a major factor in the story. It's people picking up the pieces, not quite knowing where they came from. And in a way, I feel like that's where we are in our society these days. You know, kind of everybody's grabbing little pieces of the past and trying to make sense of where they're at. So um, that's uh, why I wrote it that way. All right. So it's a rebuilding stage. And now with the sci-fi, is it more technology sci-fi? Is it aliens involved? What what kind of sci-fi do you take us on? You know, it's really focused on technology. So the 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 bad guys, the Triopolites, have um, regathered some of the the top level technology that we're looking at right now in our society. So they have um, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence. We're going to play with the singularity a little bit. Um, and so it's human it's human technology being um, used in this. Uh, 
it's familiar to everybody um, who would read it now. It's all the stuff we're thinking about now, and um, and and the bad guys have it, and the good guys don't. All right. Now, with that being said, the Warrior King, I guess, are the people looking at the Warrior King? Is the, are those the good people? Do you start off with indicating who's good and bad, or is that something we have to determine throughout the story? The uh, the the good guys, so to speak, are the Kukazi, and it's definitely written from their perspective, although it's not that they're particularly more virtuous than the Triopolites. Uh, the story is just from their, uh, told from their side. And if you um, know any of your kind of a biblical reading, the, the Kukazi represent the Jews, the Israelites, um, and the Triopolites are like the Philistines. And so, um, you know, eventually we get a version of the David and Goliath story. And so, um, but the the Kukazi have plenty of problems of their own. They are not they are not wonderful people. Um, they're going to have all sorts of you know power struggles within them you know within their ranks over who gets to be king and who gets the spoils of war and, and all these things. So there's a lot of um there's a lot of social. I I wanted to create some of the social dynamics that we still see you know again in in our in our world today that you know there's two sides. Um, and there's good people on the other side too. You know everybody on the Trapolite side is not a horrible person. They're just richer and powerful, more powerful and want to control the people below them. All right. Which I can see how that would happen. So what is the first book? Is it the two books you have? They're in a series. What is the first one? Is it loyalty to chaos or is it the one I just seem to be coming short on? Sorry. Yeah. So book one is illusion of control. Book two is loyal to chaos. So, um, Illusion of Control is the first one. It's quite a bit longer than the second, actually, because I, I wrote it a while ago, and um, I, I decided to move to a, a shorter, a more of a novella format for, for subsequent episodes. All right. And how did you end up finding the story for this? Did you read in the Bible and it came to you? Did you remember the story and you started playing with it? How did that happen? Yeah, the the stories come out of the book of First Samuel, and... As long as I can, you know, remember since I started reading the Bible in my adult life, you know, last 20 years, I've just always been really drawn into that particular story. And so um, I I was thinking for a long time, you know, uh, a decade or more about how I could write that story. I was initially going to make it a, um, a gangster story set in Chicago. And then for some reason my thoughts evolved and I wanted to do some speculative fiction. And so I thought, well, let's, you know, it can be a little gangstery. There is, there are some sort of gangster elements, but it moved into more of a speculative fiction uh, approach to telling this story. And so I've just always wanted to do a fictionalized version of these episodes out of first Samuel. And so eventually uh, I I sat down and, and, you know, gave it a shot in this post-apocalyptic world. All right. And did you feel like, you were finding more about what, because I guess the best way to say it is I've spoken with some people who find they develop more understanding of topics and different things while they're writing their stories. Did that tend to happen with you that you're finding different developments, different patterns, maybe externally in the world or internally for yours? Absolutely. So Current events always give you food for thought, and so those work their way in. You know, um, I'm one of those writers that definitely steals when I see a plot line or a character, you know, some kind of uh, thing on TV that is interesting. You know, I'll I'll rip that out and find a way to insert it in. And then 
stories always take on a little bit of a life of their own, at least for me. They they never come out quite like a picture, but um, they they start to, you know, they, certain things are working better as you're writing, you know, and you didn't anticipate um, certain characters, for example, um, becoming much more important to the story than I thought they would. And so, for example, you know, um, one of the one of the main characters in my, in my story, but um, also in the Bible, uh, is um, David, who uh, becomes the king. And I figured I would focus on him. Um, however, as I was writing, it's his friend Jonathan who actually really took on a life of his own and kind of became more and more of a major character. Um, and so, actually, as I move into the second book, I, I really tried to make Jonathan more and more the main character because I was having so much more fun with Jonathan than uh, the David character. So yeah, there's 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 definitely an evolution um, as it goes. And so uh, it's it, when you're writing, or at least when I'm writing, you're just kind of like struggling for the next the next page, the next sentence, and anything that feels like it's working, you kind of run with that. So you know, right. the, the, my books always become something a little bit different than I pictured them as at the beginning. All right. And then the memoir was the first book that you wrote, correct? Yes. First published book. I wrote a lot of books uh, before that, but that was the first one <laughs> that somebody picked up. I understand. We all tend to have a drawer full of stories and different things. Absolutely. But so, and I've read quite a few of the reviews for your memoir, Shattered Prayers, mm-hmm. where people, it seems like, only have good things to say about it. And can you go into it has to do with family with your child yeah can you go into what made you decide to write it because when you have a special needs kid most people their lives are so wrapped up in dealing with those situations even with a regular child they take up a lot of time sure can you explain like uh, first off what is shatter prayers about and then yeah. what caused you to write it? My um my son Joshua was born with uh, a rare genetic um, condition, and it was totally unexpected. And so it really hit like a ton of bricks. Um, and I didn't come up with that title. Uh, the publisher came up with that title, Shattered Prayers. But it's a pretty good one in that mm-hmm. it was a shattering experience, um, both in terms of just your fear and concern for your child, but then also the way it affected my worldview. Um, you want to think everything's going to work out in your life. And then when something like that happens, you're like, wow, no, you know, the most important things in your life may not work out the way that you expected them at least. So, uh, you know, and probably one of the deepest things was, um, and this is a very common experience, but it really just caused me to question my faith in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's the simple, like, why would God do this? Why would God let my child um, have this condition, you know, what did, what did he ever do to you, God, that kind of, you know, you have anger and you have pain, but I also found that, um, my faith was ultimately the bedrock that helped me comprehend and continue to move through the situation. So it was really, um, uh, a maturing of myself and my faith as I went through uh, my son's health struggles. Um, I'm, you know, one of the ways I know that I'm a writer is I just sort of keep compulsively writing things. And so one day I was uh, sitting down thinking about what my next project should be. And I, I was at this coffee shop and sitting in front of my computer. And I just thought, well, let's let's talk about what happened with Joshua. And I just started typing. And it really, it, it really started to pour out. And 
it's, you know, writers also are such mercenaries, or at least I can be, because I could immediately tell this was the best thing I'd ever written. Like, this had just so much more um, life uh, and and drama um, and insight and all these things to it um, that I, I, I wrote it very quickly. It's also the fastest book I probably have written, although uh, my most recent one, Loyal to Chaos, I, I wrote even faster uh, using using some techniques I learned from some other people. But, uh, you know, I wrote it in about three months and shipped it off to a um, agent and they liked it and picked it up. And I'd never had that happen before either. I, you know, I had, I had about 10,000 rejection letters and that one I sent out and almost immediately somebody said, oh, I like it. Let's publish it. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, uh, sometimes I look back and I think it's a little bit gross in a way to use your, you know, um, child's healthcare situation and your faith to write a book. But on the other hand, like you said, people have responded to it pretty well. And I've been, um, I've been happy with the way people have, uh, identified with it. Cause you know, these things happen all the time. Like you, I, I, I hoped, you know, having a special needs child would never happen to me and you don't have, you know, you hope it doesn't happen to other people cause it's hard, but mm-hmm. it does actually happen quite a bit. And so, uh, I've been able to give it to people. I've had people just pick it up and say, Hey, I read your book and it really helped me through, um, you know, what I was going through. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I, I am, I'm glad I wrote it, even though I do feel like a little bit of a mercenary for using my life to create a, a book. I understand. Now, personally, I think memoirs are usually very useful tools in life to give people understanding of different scenarios. And I've read quite a few of them and even read some of the responses people have written about why they did it and most people just started writing for they didn't know why or they just felt like they had to in your book do you go into detail about the challenges you face with your faith because that like we said one being a parent is very taxing very takes up a lot of your time and also takes up a lot of energy and i know it tests it, uh, having a kid can test anyone's faith, especially when you're trying to hold your patience. Having a special needs child, I imagine, does the same. And forgive me, I'm not aware because right now my child's they definitely give me plenty to work with. Yeah. But how much did that push your faith, and do you really discuss that in your book? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the main discussions, um, you know, focusing on just very specifically what I'm – um, what I'm thinking about God, what I'm praying, you know, I'll, I'll hear a, a pastor will call me and give me some advice and I'll have a really negative reaction to the advice the pastor gave me. On the other hand, you know, some, you know, random person, uh, I remember, you know, we were in, uh, we had to, we had to get care flighted to, um, Salt Lake city where they have a really good children's hospital and we didn't have a, um, a, a baby seat to, bring the, our, our, our kid back in, in our car. And so somebody drove from Reno and dropped off a baby seat for us. Um, you know, who was not even somebody I knew, but they were sort of part of our extended, um, church community. And so there's these moments where you kind of see the best of Christianity and you see the worst of it. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely, um, so Shattered Purse is also, uh, you know, it's, it's an apologetic work, you know, even more technically, there's a word theodicy, which is justifying God's goodness in the face of evil. And so it's meant to engage what I think for most people are, are some of the most difficult questions about faith. Uh, you know, the, the problem of evil 
is generally considered the the hardest philosophical question for um, a Christian or maybe any theist to answer. You know, why if if God is good, why is there so many bad things in the world? And so the book tries to operate in that way as well. Um, hopefully, from a pretty raw angle. You know, like I I I took some pretty you know I took some pretty vicious shots at God and the church in my book, but uh, by the end, I hopefully come around to a place where. Um, I find, you know, new hope and new faith um, in those things. I understand. And with that, does it, I guess I'm really, did you kind of find more strength in the faith with how it went? Because one, there's different things in life that will challenge somebody's faith and you either get back to where your faith is and sometimes you get stronger faith. Sometimes it's still kind of worry. I know years and years ago I had, an event in my life that I just made me turn away. And I actually was an atheist for quite a few years, or at least that's what I told myself. And after different events, after life just kept coming to me, I came back to the faith. And, you know, I know that I have a stronger faith now compared to before, but on the same note, does that kind of portray itself in your stories or? Yes. You know, um, I do think it ultimately strengthened uh, my faith. I forget where I heard this, but you know, I've heard that in some ways we're strongest in the places where we've been broken. Um, and so it really deepened my sense of my faith's ability, my God's ability to meet me and presumably other people in their in their really you know hardest, most um, broken moments. It certainly still marks me you know when you when you get broken there's still that piece of you that's still kind of like ooh, that's that still hurts but um no it really i think one of the things it did for me is first it tested my faith um and i found that my faith stood up to it in fact i felt like my faith was the best response to the suffering that i was experiencing um but it's also it's also given me a lot more um compassion and interest in people who are going through suffering um i i think i've got a better skill set in a way of engaging when somebody's having a hard time i'm a lot better at sort of being there and supporting them and not trying to explain everything away and you know so that's been um important and actually the same themes uh show up in my fiction as well um you know i really like to look at how as human beings do we deal with so much screwed up stuff in the world you know and there's all different kinds. Um, the, the, there's similarities in the ways that we all suffer, um, but they're all different types of suffering. You know, people are unique. And so in um, in the Chronicles of Gog, I, I do like to kind of flesh out um, how people end up broken, how they respond to it. Some respond better than others. Um, and so, you know, the, the theme of brokenness is pretty important to me. Right, and that I understand. So, so do you find that... You find even with the people that are broken in your stories or in the memoir showing that type of thing, that there's hope to rebuild to the evil can basically be overcome and bad can then become good? Or what do you kind of lead into there? Well, that's a great question. I think in the fiction particularly, I I like to show different responses. Um, you know, some people really harden themselves and shield themselves. And so... Uh, the antagonists in Illusion of Control 
are basically two orphans who lost their mother very young. Um, they started off actually as part of the church. Um, they they lost their mother to a disease that couldn't be dealt with because of the the collapse of society. And um, you know they they respond to it by trying to gather power. And um, you know they're they're also trying to fix the world around them. But I think some people uh, they they try to do everything they can to overcome the brokenness, you know, through, through power, through control. That's why the book's called illusion of control. You know, others, um, others turn to substance abuse. Um, others, you know, do find, you know, uh, comfort in their family and friends and their faith. And so there's a lot of different responses, um, people can have. Um, I do, I do try to portray that suffering can be transformed. Um, I, I don't know if it can be totally defeated, um, in this world. Like, I think that's, to me, that's one of the raw facts of life is that suffering is just a built-in component of, uh, this world we live in and, and you're never going to get away from it completely. Um, and so I think what happens is it transforms people, you know, and it can transform them for good. It can transform them for bad. And so that's what I like to lay out is sort of what's the human response to these things. And, and it goes a variety of different ways. I understand. Now, with all the writing, with all the things you found, what is the, be it your sci-fi, your memoirs, what's the biggest lesson you found in your stories that you've put out that you find to be helpful to yourself or others have said they found helpful? Um, You know, you touched on it, I think, which is finding some hope, um, finding some hope and finding some beauty in the hard things uh, that we go through. Um, I, I also like to work in a fair amount of um, humor. You know, I've, I've got a slightly um, dark sense of humor, which for certain people, when you're suffering, being able to have a, a good, you know, gallows humor um, can actually kind of lift up your spirits a little bit. So right. I, I, do, I do try to work in, you know, sort of oddball, funny things that, that happen um, all the time. But yeah, hopefully what people get from it is a, a more interesting picture of life and God. Um, I think as humans, a lot of us have a tendency to try to put things in boxes, make them black and white, uh, because that's a little bit easier to comprehend. But I, my, my view is that life doesn't usually stand up to going into neat boxes everywhere. And so, you know, what do you do with the mess? And so I guess, I suppose what I would really hope people might get is, yeah, you know, that, that um, Christian faith is actually a beautiful and hopeful way to deal with the mess of this world that we, we all find ourselves in. Right. So I guess what you said, you still have two more books to write for your science fiction series. Yeah. Can you give any indications of what you're expecting to come into those books or have you planned it out or what are you thinking about there? Yeah. So the next one um, I've got, you know, I've got on a board here. I need to sit down and actually write it. Uh, so the next book, I actually really want to um, talk about politics, but um, from the viewpoint of uh, madness and power. And so there's an episode in First Samuel where um, David pretends to be insane um, so that he can fit in with a, a group of people he falls in with. And I thought that was really interesting. It reminds me a little bit of, I think, where we are in our society, where um, everybody's kind of feeling the need to get a little bit crazy and um, impose whatever power they can on the people around them. 
and how that works out. So once again, you know, it's it's a it's a response to wow, this world's really screwed up, and all the people I see around me are really screwed up. And so right. what what am I willing to do? How far am I willing to go in order to accomplish what I believe is correct? So there's a little bit of you know, there's a little bit of Machiavellianism in there. And how does how does a good person um, respond to a Machiavellian world? Right. Well, that sounds interesting. It sounds like it's something that's going to keep the readers interested. So with that being said, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I do apologize. Unfortunately, a sick kid at home does kind of make things entertaining. So I apologize to you and obviously to the people listening. But with that being said, where do you think people can best find you? Where do you prefer? Because I have all your information you've given me in the show notes on a profile on authorblurb.com. And of course, that's where the pro- the profile for you and the show is. Where do you prefer people to go if they want to reach out to you, if they want to find your books, things like that? I have a website. It's called kennycreative.net. And so you can definitely contact me there or find books there. I'm also pretty active on Twitter, um, at Kenny Ching six. And so either of those places is an easy way to find me. Sounds perfect. Well, I appreciate you being on again and I look forward to talking to you soon. So thank you. This is the end of the conversation for us, but if you hold, or at least for everybody else to hear, if you hold on, then we'll talk a little more afterwards. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto, buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And, again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And as final note, rate, review, shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.